Section 17 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Spotted Dog, Part 2, The Result, Continued. It was late when we reached the public house on the occasion to which we now allude, and the evening was dark and rainy. It was then the end of January, and it might have been about six o'clock. We knew that we should not find Mackenzie at the public house, but it was probable that Mrs. Grimes could send for him, or at least could make the appointment for us. We went into the little parlor where she was seated with her husband, and we could immediately see from the countenance of both of them that something was amiss. We began by telling Mrs. Grimes that the doctor had come to town. "'Mackenzie ain't here, sir,' said Mrs. Grimes, and we almost thought that the very tone of her voice was altered. We explained that we had not expected to find him at that hour, and asked if she could send for him. She only shook her head. Grimes was standing with his back to the fire, and his hands in his trousers' pockets. Up to this moment he had not spoken a word. We asked if the man was drunk, she again shook her head. Could she bid him to come to us tomorrow and bring the box and the papers with him? Again she shook her head. I've told her that I won't have no more of it, said Grimes, nor yet I won't. He was drunk this morning, as drunk as an owl. He was sober, John, as you are, when he came for the papers this afternoon at two o'clock. So the box and the papers had all been taken away. And she was here yesterday, rampaging about the place, without as much clothes on as would cover her nakedness, said Mr. Grimes. I won't have no more of it. I've done for that man what his own flesh and blood wouldn't do. I know that, and I won't have no more of it. Marianne, you'll have that table cleared out after breakfast tomorrow. When a man, to whom his wife is usually Polly, addresses her as Mary Ann, then it may be surmised that that man is in earnest. We knew that he was in earnest, and she knew it also. He wasn't drunk, John, no, nor yet in liquor, when he come and took away that box this afternoon. We understood this reiterated assertion. It was in some sort excusing to us her own breach of trust in having allowed the manuscript to be withdrawn from her own charge, or was assuring us that, at the worst, she had not been guilty of the impropriety of allowing the man to take it away when he was unfit to have it in his charge. As for blaming her, who could have thought of it? Had Mackenzie at any time chosen to pass downstairs with the box in his hands, it was not to be expected that she should stop him violently. And now that he had done so, we could not blame her, but we felt that a great weight had fallen upon our own hearts. If evil should come to the manuscript, would not the doctor's wrath fall upon us with a crushing weight? Something must be done at once, and we suggested that it would be well that somebody should go round to Cucumber Court. I'd go as soon as look, said Mrs. Grimes, but he won't let me. 
You don't stir a foot out of this tonight, not that way, said Mr. Grimes. Who wants to stir, said Mrs. Grimes. We felt that there was something more to be told than we had yet heard, and a great fear fell upon us. The woman's manner to us was altered, and we were sure that this had come not from altered feelings on her part, but from circumstances which had frightened her. It was not her husband that she feared, but the truth of something that her husband had said to her. "'If there is anything more to tell, for God's sake, tell it,' we said, addressing ourselves rather to the man than to the woman. Then Grimes did tell us his story. On the previous evening Mackenzie had received three or four sovereigns from Mrs. Grimes, being, of course, a portion of the doctor's payments, and early on that morning all Liquor Pond Street had been in a state of excitement with the drunken fury of Mackenzie's wife. She had found her way into the spotted dog, and was being actually extruded by the strength of Grimes himself, of Grimes who had been brought down, half-dressed, from his bedroom by the row, when Mackenzie himself, equally drunk, appeared upon the scene. "'No, John, not equally drunk,' said Mrs. Grimes. "'Bother,' explained her husband, going on with his story. The man had struggled to take the woman by the arm, and the two had fallen and rolled in the street together. "'I was looking out the window, and it was awful to see,' said Mrs. Grimes. We felt that it was awful to hear. A man, and such a man, rolling in the gutter with a drunken woman, himself drunk, and that woman his wife? "'There ain't to be no more of it at the spotted dog. That's all,' said John Grimes, as he finished his part of the story. Then at last Mrs. Grimes became voluble. All this had occurred before nine in the morning. "'The woman must have been at it all night,' she said. "'So must the man,' said John. "'Anyways, he came back about dinner, and he was sober then.' I asked him not to go up, and offered to make him a cup of tea. It was just as you'd gone out after dinner, John. He won't have no more tea here, said John. And he didn't have any then. He wouldn't, he said, have any tea, but went upstairs. What was I to do? I couldn't tell him as he shouldn't. Well, during the row in the morning, John had said something as to Mackenzie not coming about the premises any more. "'Of course I did,' said Grimes. "'He was a little cut then, no doubt,' continued the lady, "'and I didn't think as he would have noticed what John had said. "'I mean it to be noticed now.' "'He had noticed it then, sir, although he wasn't just as he should be at that hour of the morning. "'Well, what does he do?' He goes upstairs and packs up all the papers at once. Leastways, that's as I suppose. They ain't there now. You can go and look if you please, sir. Well, when he came down, whether I was in the kitchen, though it isn't often as my eyes is off the bar, or in the tap room, or busy drawing, which I do do sometimes, sir, when there are many calling for liquor, I can't say. But if I ain't never to stand upright again, I didn't see him pass out with the box. But Miss Wilcox did. You can ask her. 
Miss Wilcox was the young lady in the bar, whom we did not think ourselves called upon to examine, feeling no doubt whatever as to the fact of the box having been taken away by Mackenzie. In all this Mrs. Grimes seemed to defend herself as though some serious charge was to be brought against her, whereas all that she had done had been done out of pure charity, and in exercising her charity towards Mackenzie she had shown an almost exaggerated kindness towards ourselves. "'If there's anything wrong, it isn't your fault,' we said. "'Nor yet mine,' said John Grimes. "'No, indeed,' we replied. "'It ain't none of our faults,' continued he. "'Only this. You can't wash a blackamoor white, nor it ain't no use trying.' He don't come here any more, that's all. A man and drink we don't mind. We has to put up with it. And they ain't that tarnation desperate as is a woman. As long as a man can keep his legs, he'll try to steady hisself. But there is women who, when they've liquor, get a fury for rampaging. There ain't a many as can beat this one, sir. She's that strong, it took four of us to hold her. Though she can't hardly do a stroke of work, she's that weak when she's sober. We had now heard the whole story, and while hearing it, had determined that it was our duty to go round into Cucumber Court and seek the manuscript and the box. We were unwilling to pry into the wretchedness of the man's home, but something was due to the doctor, and we had to make that appointment for the morrow, if it were still possible that such an appointment should be kept. We asked for the number of the house, remembering well the entrance into the court. Then there was a whisper between John and his wife, and the husband offered to accompany us. "'It's a roughish place,' he said, "'but they know me.' "'He'd better go along with you,' said Mrs. Grimes. We, of course, were glad of such companionship, and glad also to find that the landlord, upon whom we had inflicted so much trouble, was still sufficiently our friend to take this trouble on our behalf. "'It's a dreary place enough,' said Grimes, as he led us up the narrow archway. Indeed, it was a dreary place. The court spread itself a little in breadth, but very little, when the passage was passed, and there were houses on each side of it. There was neither gutter nor, as far as we saw, drain, but the broken flags were slippery with moist mud, and here and there, strewed about between the houses, there were the remains of cabbages and turnip-tops. The place swarmed with children, over whom one ghastly gas-lamp at the end of the court threw a flickering and uncertain light. There was a clamor of scolding voices, to which it seemed that no heed was paid, and there was a smell of damp, rotting nastiness, amidst which it seemed to us to be almost impossible that life should be continued. Grimes led the way, without further speech, to the middle house on the left hand of the court, and asked a man who was sitting on the low threshold of the door whether Mackenzie was within. "'So that be you, Master Grimes, be it?' said the man, without stirring. "'Yes, he's there, I guess, but they've been and took her.' Then we passed on into the house. "'No matter about that,' said the man, as we apologized for kicking him in our passage. He had not moved, 
and it had been impossible to enter without kicking him. It seemed that Mackenzie held the two rooms on the ground floor, and we entered them at once. There was no light, but we could see the glimmer of a fire in the grate, and presently we became aware of the presence of children. Grimes asked after Mackenzie, and a girl's voice told us that he was in the inner room. The publican then demanded a light, and the girl, with some hesitation, lit the end of a farthing candle which was fixed in a small bottle. We endeavored to look round the room by the glimmer which this afforded, but could see nothing but the presence of four children, three of whom seemed to be seated in apathy on the floor. Grimes, taking the candle in his hand, passed at once into the other room, and we followed him. Holding the bottle something over his head, he contrived to throw a gleam of light upon one of the two beds with which the room was fitted, and there we saw the body of Julius Mackenzie stretched in the torpor of dead intoxication. His head lay against the wall, his body was across the bed, and his feet dangled on to the floor. He still wore his dirty boots and his clothes as he had worn them in the morning. No sight so piteous, so wretched, and at the same time so eloquent had we ever seen before. His eyes were closed, and the light of his face was therefore quenched. His mouth was open, and the slaver had fallen upon his beard. His dark clotted hair had been pulled over his face by the unconscious movement of his hands. There came from him a stertorous sound of breathing, as though he were being choked by the attitude in which he lay, and even in his drunkenness there was an uneasy twitching as of pain about his face and there sat, and had been sitting for hours past, the four children in the other room, knowing the condition of the parent whom they most respected, but not even endeavoring to do anything for his comfort. What could they do? They knew by long training and thorough experience that a fit of drunkenness had to be got out of by sleep. To them there was nothing shocking in it. It was but a periodical misfortune. "'She'll have to own he's been and done it now,' said Grimes, looking down upon the man and alluding to his wife's good-natured obstinacy. He handed the candle to us, and with a mixture of tenderness and roughness, of which the roughness was only in the manner, and the tenderness was real, he raised Mackenzie's head and placed it on the bolster, and lifted the man's legs on to the bed. Then he took off the man's boots and the old silk handkerchief from the neck and pulled the trousers straight and arranged the folds of the coat. It was almost as though he were laying out one that was dead. The eldest girl was now standing by us, and Grimes asked her how long her father had been in that condition. "'Jack Hogarth brought him in just afore it was dark,' said the girl. Then it was explained to us that Jack Hogarth was the man whom we had seen sitting on the doorstep. "'And your mother?' asked Grimes. "'The perlice took her afore dinner.' "'And you children, what have you had to eat?' In answer to this the girl only shook her head. Grimes took no immediate notice of this, but called the drunken man by his name, and shook his shoulder, and looked round to a broken ewer which stood on the little table for water to dash upon him. But there was no water in the jug. He called again and repeated the shaking, and at last Mackenzie opened his eyes, 
and in a dull, half-conscious manner looked up at us. "'Come, my man,' said Grimes, "'shake this off and have done with it. "'Hadn't you better try to get up?' we asked. There was a faint attempt at rising, then a smile, a smile which was terrible to witness, so sad was all which it said, then a look of utter abject misery, coming, as we thought, from a momentary remembrance of his degradation. And after that he sank back in the dull, brutal, painless, death-like apathy of absolute unconsciousness. "'It'll be morning afore he'll move,' said the girl. "'She's about right,' said Grimes. "'He's got it too heavy for us to do anything but just leave him. "'We'll take a look for the box and the papers.' And the man upon whom we were looking down had been born a gentleman, and was a finished scholar. One so well educated, so ripe in literary acquirement, that we knew few whom we could call his equal. Judging of the matter by the light of our reason, we cannot say that the horror of the scene should have been enhanced to us by these recollections. Had the man been a shoemaker or a coal-heaver, there would have been enough of tragedy in it to make an angel weep. That sight of the child standing by the bedside of her drunken father, while the other parent was away in custody, and in no degree shocked at what she saw, because the thing was so common to her? But the thought of what the man had been, of what he was, of what he might have been, the steps by which he had brought himself to the foul degradation which we witnessed filled us with a dismay which we should hardly have felt had the gifts which he had polluted and the intellect which he had wasted been less capable of noble uses. Our purpose in coming to the court was to rescue the doctor's papers from danger, and we turned to accompany Grimes into the other room. As we did so, the publican asked the girl if she knew anything of a black box which her father had taken away from the spotted dog. "'The box is here,' said the girl. "'And the papers?' asked Grimes. Thereupon the girl shook her head, and we both hurried into the outer room. I hardly know who first discovered the sight which we encountered, or whether it was shown to us by the child.' The whole fireplace was strewn with half-burnt sheets of manuscript. There were scraps of pages of which almost the whole had been destroyed, others which were hardly more than scorched, and heaps of paper ashes all lying tumbled together about the fender. We went down on our knees to examine them, thinking at the moment that the poor creature might in his despair have burned his own work, and have spared that of the doctor but it was not so. We found scores of charred pages of the doctor's elaborate handwriting. By this time Grimes had found the open box, and we perceived that the sheets remaining in it were tumbled and huddled together in absolute confusion. There were pages of the various volumes mixed with those which Mackenzie himself had written, and they were all crushed and rolled and twisted as though they had been thrust thither as waste paper out of the way. "'Twas mother has done it,' said the girl, "'and we put him back again when the perlice took her.' There was nothing more to learn, nothing more by the hearing which any useful clue could be obtained. What had been the exact course of the scenes which had been enacted there that morning, it little booted us to inquire.' 
it was enough and more than enough that we knew that the mischief had been done. We went down on our knees before the fire and rescued from the ashes with our hands every fragment of manuscript that we could find. Then we put the mass all together into the box and gazed upon the wretched remnants almost in tears. "'You better go and get a bit of cement to eat,' said Grimes, handing a coin to the elder girl. "'It's hard on them to starve cause their father's drunk, sir.' Then he took the closed box in his hand, and we followed him out into the street. "'I'll send or step up and look after him tomorrow,' said Grimes, as he put us and the box into a cab. We little thought, when we made to the drunkard that foolish request to arise, that we should never speak to him again. As we returned to our office in the cab, that we might deposit the box there ready for the following day, our mind was chiefly occupied in thinking over the undeserved grievances which had fallen upon ourselves. We had been moved by the charitable desire to do services to two different persons, to the learned doctor and to the red-nosed drunkard, and this had come of it. There had been nothing for us to gain by assisting either the one or the other. We had taken infinite trouble, attempting to bring together two men who wanted each other's services, working hard in sheer benevolence, and what had been the result? We had spent half an hour on our knees in the undignified and almost disreputable work of raking among Mrs. Mackenzie's cinders, and now we had to face the anger, the dismay, the reproach, and, worse than all, the agony of the doctor. As to Mackenzie, we asserted to ourselves again and again that nothing further could be done for him. He had made his bed, and he must lie upon it. But, oh, why, why had we attempted to meddle with a being so degraded? We got out of the cab at our office door, thinking of the doctor's countenance as we should see it on the morrow. Our hearts sank within us, and we asked ourselves if it was so bad with us now. How would it be with us when we returned to the place on the following morning? End of section 17 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina